Get ready to get blitzed on the Blitz Podcast at thehuddle.com with your host, Steve Gallo and Harley Schultz. Welcome back to another season of the Blitzed Podcast. I'll tell you what, I am psyched. Football, while it's not back, it is back. I don't care that we don't have real meaningful games, as in regular season. We still have football. We have drafts to get ready for and help you get ready with those drafts this year. Of course, I've got my guy, my sidekick, partner in crime, Harley Schultz. How's it going, Harley? You know, it's going good. And yes, we don't have meaningful football, but we kind of do. Uh, I, I think many, many football fans were eagerly watching steadfastly the second half of the Baltimore Ravens uh, Hall of Fame game to get their first glimpses of future fantasy stud Lamar Jackson. And he showed some he showed some flashes. He also threw a really awful pick. <laughs> and that's what you <clears throat> get with rookies. And you know what? It's preseason, so that's okay. Um, but as I alluded to, we're going to talk draft strategy today, correct? That is correct. Because as one of the, is it Roto Underground or Roto something, they sell a shirt, it's process over results, right? Something well, like you that. know what, I wish that was the case for me in school. Okay. Well, the, you know, look, there's people out there, they call themselves experts. People even refer to us as experts. I don't like that term. I like to say that we're industry professionals. Um, nobody's truly an expert at this because it is a crapshoot, because you are trying to prognosticate something that's harder to prognosticate than the weather. You know, you mean when I shake my magic eight ball, it doesn't actually like tell me the truth. See, you say that. And what you don't realize is I have my magic eight ball right here. There you go. Right there. Live on the screen. Magic eight ball. Of course, so, we're doing this over podcast. So unless someone's got the video feed to your home, uh, I know we know there's hackers all around the world, right? <laughs> that is true. That is true. I don't know. Maybe we'll have to do this live, you know, on air, like show the video content with why we're recording. But we record for a reason. We have faces for radio. It'll be kind of interesting to see how many times live one of my cats decides to walk across my chest. I could probably put the over under on that since we've been doing this for so long, since I've got a good feel for how long, how many times I see that happen in my screen. Anyway, <laughs> it wouldn't be the Blitz podcast if we didn't start off like we always start off. And that's with me throwing it over to Harley for this week's BPN News. Thank you, Steve. This past weekend, eight new members were inducted into the National Football League Hall of Fame. One of the inductees, Terrell Owens, declined attending the ceremony, citing that he was upset that he had not made it as a first ballot contender. Perhaps the NFL Hall of Fame is getting a little too lenient in whom they induct. In addition to the malcontented and rumored bankrupt Owens, the Hall welcomed into its shrine an individual who was basically an accessory to murder, as well as another player who holds among his career highlights bad-mouthing a team's caterer, leaving the field early on multiple occasions, and purposely driving his car into a meter maid. Julian Edelman will miss the first four games of the season due to a suspension 
he received after testing positive for an unknown substance. We here at BPN News can neither confirm nor deny that the unidentifiable mystery product that Edelman had ingested was in fact Taco Bell's seasoned beef filling. <laughs> Monday, the Cleveland Browns traded former first-round pick Corey Coleman to the Buffalo Bills. This was the eighth first-round pick out of eight made by the Browns between 2012 and 2016 that is no longer with the team. Now, you would normally assume that an NFL player hoping to resurrect his draft star status would be elated to leave the pit of misery known as Cleveland. Of course, no such luck for Mr. Coleman, as he will now find himself on a team that is actually worse than the Browns. <laughs> so speaking of the Browns, former first-round bust Johnny Football is in the news once again, following an inauspicious start to his Canadian Football League career. Manziel threw four interceptions in the first half of the Montreal Alouettes lost last week to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Reggie Bush came to his defense on TMZ following the performance, stating that he still believes in Manziel as a player. Of course you should, Reggie. I mean, Manziel finished the game with 104 yards passing, which was only uh, one-third as many yards as Hamilton's starting quarterback, the illustrious long-term Hall of Fame superstar Jeremiah Masoli. Yuck. And finally, the Patriots have been working out tailback Rex Burkhead at punt returner this week. Oh, great. Just what we need. Another way for Burkhead to fumble the ball and find himself in Bill Belichick's doghouse once again. This has been your BPN News Update. Well, um... I would say that's what preseason's for, but actually you did, you did pretty well there, man. There's a couple that I, I got to go back to the Hall of Fame thing. Okay. Yes. I look. I think that To has a point. Did everybody not know that he's a Hall of Famer? Uh, he he's made it known throughout his career that he's a Hall of Famer. Well, of course he has. So did Chad Johnson, but he's not in the Hall of Fame. Um, <laughs> no. But seriously, everybody and their mother knows that T.O. is a Hall of Famer, except yes. the sports writers that had to vote. And it is the Hall of Fame. There are people in there that have less than, you know, shiny backgrounds. It's about your performance on the football field, not even the national football field, the pro football Hall of Fame. So all football, right? I'm about to go on another tangent here in a second. So I just think that the NFL, or the, I should say the Pro Football Hall of Fame, because it's a separate entity, didn't do itself any, you know, service. I think it did a disservice by, you know, I guess the best way to put it is, did your mom or grandma ever say two wrongs don't make a right? Yeah. That's how I saw that. So if Tio decides he's not going to do that, then just go along like, hey, he's not here. You still celebrate his career, and the fact that he's there is an accomplishment where fans can rejoice and think about that. I'm not going to get into the Ray Lewis thing. Not going to happen. Um, the oh, Ran come on. I tried to set you up for that. I know you're from that side of town. So The, the, <laughs> the Randy Moss thing, it, you definitely could tell the fact that you're from the Minnesota area since you're talking about the meter maid. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Randy was first ballot, though, correct? Yes. Okay. One, as, one of very few wide receivers that's actually ever been admitted on the first ballot. As he should be. And Definitely. Here's the thing. I think that, and the Hall would never do this, but I think it's more of the Hall of Very Good than the Hall of Fame because of so many of the different players that get in. Look, I'm happy as all get out to see you know, Brian Dawkins get in. 
I wasn't sure that he would ever get in because it's a tough spot to get in, and, and I'm happy to see that. But I do think that they shouldn't have to have five players every year. If there's nobody worthy, then don't put anybody in. The following year, if there's 10 worthy, put 10 in. But guess what? That's going to come down to dollars and cents, and that's never going to happen. Now, I'm going to say this, and then we can move on, or you can comment, and then we'll get into draft strategy, whatever you want. But the Hall of Fame is called the Pro Football Hall of Fame, correct? Yes. Can you tell me why Herschel Walker is not in the Hall of Fame? I'm sorry, in the Pro Football <laughs> Hall of Fame. I, I totally agree with you there. Although, if as a Minnesota fan, we kind of wish that there was a Pro Football Hall of Shame, and we would put him in there. But yes, he definitely belongs. I mean, it, people would say, well, it was in the USFL. It doesn't matter. It was a pro sports league. Yes. End of story. It's not the National Football League Hall of Fame. It is the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Can, can, we, can we nominate Rod Smart for the Pro Football Hall of Fame as being the best player in his own league? In um, history. Possibly. Could always nominate somebody. <laughs> they won't get the votes, but no. <laughs> but, but I mean but but Herschel, he transcends both leagues. He he still stacked up while he wasn't the dominant running back in the NFL, he still stacked up a ton of combined yardage and things like that and was a weapon. So And he was single handedly responsible for the Dallas Cowboys uh three peat dynasty in the nineties. Exactly. So that should be enshrined somewhere. Anyway. Exactly. Since you just said that he was responsible for something that had to do with the draft day trade or draft trade, et cetera, let's get in the draft. How, what do you think? Sounds good. All right. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about three basic things. And we recommend that if you're not a member of the huddle, you go become a member of the huddle so that you can get the paid content so that you can read David Dory's draft strategy article, which is kind of what we're going to be referencing a little bit here. So we're going to talk about standard leagues. I'll let Harley talk the most about that because I don't play standard because it's boring. And we're going to be talking about PPR leagues. And then we're going to be talking super flex leagues. All of these we will talk in the guise of being a 12-team league. Correct? Yes. Whenever I reference anything on this show, anytime forward, unless it's otherwise stated, you can assume I'm talking 12-team PPR, and that's the way it is. And, and that's the way it really should be. I, I'm a huge proponent of PPR myself. Uh, I have had the pleasure, or I should say the leisure, of being in a league that's been in existence for 25 years now. And uh, the league is actually entering its 30th year this year. Uh, I joined them in the fifth season, and they refuse to change any rules. This league still has kickers. It still does performance points. It, it doesn't give any extra weight to tight ends or quarterbacks. It's a single quarterback league. <sighs> so basically you can draft your quarterback in round 15 and not worry about it. Uh, but you know what? Performance scoring, there are still formats that involve having solid rosters. So you actually do need to think something into it. It's not just go there and throw darts against the pick the best running back and that's all type of format. You still have to... yeah consider other options there. Oh, I agree. There's strategy to it. Just it's boring to me. So that's why. Oh, I totally agree. And, and I now, think that actually something that David wrote in his article that I think is kind of interesting. Maybe we can talk about him with him at a later time is he talks about the advantages offered by taking a wide receiver early in a league that doesn't reward that reception point because the fact that the best of the best wide receivers are going to be considerably better than their second and third tier subordinates, whereas the best of the best running backs are going to be less different in terms of that type of scoring format than the third string or the third tier 
running backs. I think that's what you call looking for an edge or looking exactly. for the, looking for a difference maker. So I'll let you go ahead and take the reins on this. I'll chime in every now and then, but you can go ahead and start the talk with regards to a standard 12-team league, no PPR, one quarterback. Again, when we say quarterback scoring, we're going to say that we mean four-point passing TDs. I don't care if it's six-point. It doesn't impact the, the scoring that much to make a difference. If you haven't read my dissecting quarterback value in fantasy football, it's five years old now. It's still relevant. Go do so, and you'll understand why I don't want to talk about quarterbacks. Well, when you're talking about performance league, again, typically running backs go first. And uh, in the last few years, it's been very, very a popular and trendy thing to ignore the running back position. You probably even heard us talk about previous seasons, uh, a zero running back strategy for drafts. Well, it's a little harder to do in a performance-based league because there isn't any sort of bonus for having a premier wide receiver. There isn't any sort of bonus for having premier quarterbacks. So you can expect in a 12-team league to have at least eight running backs go in the first round of that 12-team league and at least 15 running backs going over the first two rounds of that league. That means half of your starting running backs, including arguably two or three running backs who aren't true bell cows being taken in the first two rounds. So here's what I'll say, too. While if you zig when everybody else is zigging, you're going to be at the end of the line and you're not going to be very happy with your team. It's going to be just a meh team, usually, right? I mean, it's all, exactly. about, it's all about hitting value and hitting on picks. But there, especially, I'd say, mid to late first round, while the advantage may not seem like much, that's when I might talk or look at going that first wide receiver, first tight end, and then you're going to chase running back. You, you know that's what's going to happen, right? And David, well, addressed- a, big, a big talker this year is around pick eight or so. Now, I, I would say there are the consensus top seven that are going to go top seven in every league this year. Gurley, Elliott, Bell, David Johnson, Kamara, Antonio Brown, and Kareem Hunt. I don't see a lot of deviation from those seven in a lot of the performance-based drafts I've done so far this season. The question mark hits at eight, where the question on everyone's mind is, do you take Saquon Barkley, or do you pivot and go for a more proven running back, such as Melvin Gordon or Delvin Cook, or a superstar receiver like a DeAndre Hopkins or Odell Beckham. And I can even see without the PPR points that people will go Barkley, they will go Gordon, and I do think Cook will sneak in there. So you might only have a- Ant- Antonio Brown that's the only wide receiver that's gone, and at the end of that first, that's where I do think you have the chance to pivot and go wide receiver, wide receiver, or wide receiver tight end. I'm not going to go say quarterback, but if somebody did that, okay, that's, that's your cup of tea. But then you have to know that you are chasing running back. You are going to yes. need you're going to need a bunch of that cooked spaghetti that you throw against the wall in hopes that it sticks at some point. Well, and our listeners are going to want to tune back in in a couple of weeks uh, when we actually discuss a breakdown on all the running backs based on their tiers so that they can kind of get a feel for which running backs might be available for them in rounds three, four, and five. Because, again, if you, if you do do that pivot and you go wide receiver, wide receiver, or wide receiver tight end with a guy like Gronk or Kelsey there, uh, then all of a sudden you're committing rounds three, four, and five to taking pretty much whichever running backs fall to you. And you're, you're going to get some good, talented players. You're going to get your choice of the uh, rookies other than Barkley, guys like Royce Freeman or Darius Geis, uh, possibly uh, Penny from Seattle, possibly Ronald Jones of Tampa Bay. Uh, and, and in some leagues, you might even get lucky and have one of the 
second tier running backs, a guy like a Jordan Howard or Joe Mixon might slide to you. But in reality, you're probably counting on getting a not so sexy veteran like uh, Kenyon Drake or Jay Ajahi as your primary running back. And so you really, you have to know the guy you're getting. You've got to trust that he's going to be good, or you have to just pile on the volume and hope to play the matchups each week. Yep. So I guess in summary, we would say that in a standard format like that, you want to try and hit running back often, early and often. But don't be afraid that if you have to pivot away to try and give yourself advantages at a couple other positions, do so, but then know you have to chase. And it's probably going to be a boom or bust type team, but that's what it's going to take. You're either going to win or you're not. You don't want to wind up in the middle, right? Yeah, and and again, the key thing there I think to, to pull from performance scoring is Unless your league, again, offers a super flex option, which we'll talk about in a little bit, do not draft your quarterback early. Uh, The only quarterbacks worthy of going in the first three rounds are Aaron Rodgers and perhaps Deshaun Watson. But again, Aaron Watson, you're talking Aaron Watson. Aaron Rodgers, you're talking about a guy coming off an injury. Yes, he's Aaron Rodgers. Yes, he's great. Deshaun Watson, you're talking about a guy coming off an injury with only six games of film really on him where he's been super successful during that time. But both those guys have some question marks coming into the season. Don't pin your hopes on them. Wait and grab your quarterback in round eight or later. Yes, I would agree. And I don't like to put rounds on it, but just wait. Wait till they're. You can wait on quarterback till eight or nine or off the board easily. Exactly. Let other You're still going to get a Matthew Stafford or a Ben Roethlisberger, yep. Matt Ryan. I've, I got Matt Ryan in round 15 of a draft earlier this year. Yep. And all those guys are good targets. You know, Andrew Luck is going outside of the top 12 a lot. And yeah, there's risk, but it's also the most replaceable position. But he's got probably as much upside as a top five quarterback that you would normally draft. So, okay, that's performance. Let's move into the meat of it. Let's go to PPR. Oh, you got to love PPR because in this day and age, I mean, it's a passing league. We're, we're no longer talking about Bronco Nagurski. We're not, we don't got the guys in the leather helmets Who? running up and down the field carrying the ball 60 times a game. No, nowadays you've got guys like Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball. you got Deshaun Watson throwing the ball, Carson Wentz. Uh, all these big-time quarterbacks who are throwing the ball 40 to 50 times a game, that means potential points for your wide receivers, but also potential points for your running backs. So in a PPR format, I am huge on spending early on a running back that gets a lot of passes. You know, I was today I was thinking about it, Harley, and I probably will try to do it today or tomorrow. I was going to ask or make a Twitter poll. Do you remember the first time in a draft when you went wide receiver, wide receiver? What year was it? Can you remember? I do. Okay. Uh, it was actually early aughts. And I went wide receiver, wide receiver at the swing, 12, uh, 112 and 2-1. I do not for sure remember the players, but I want to say one of them was the Reverend Isaac Bruce. Okay. So I'm pretty sure mine was either 02 or 03. Um, it might have been sooner, but I don't think so. I think that's safe saying that because I remember the home league that I did it in. And – there was no zero running back or anything like that, but my running backs were Tiki Barber and Charlie Garner and the little guy from um, Tampa Bay, why his name, Work Done. Work Done. You know, those were my wide receiver, hit wide receiver, wide receiver, and then those kind of three running backs. And it happened to be Marvin Harrison and Randy Moss. Okay. And it, for a while, going wide receiver, wide receiver, people still looked at you kind of cross eyed, right? Like, yep. what are you doing? Like, Running backs used to be like the first 12 to 15 picks. 
right? Well, and again, I think it's because in in the early onset of football, in, in football, in the early onset of fantasy football, touchdowns were the way people graded yeah. how how players were. I mean, I remember back in the early early days of my playing career, back in the late '80s and early '90s, where we waited to get the Monday morning USA Today, and we'd open it up and we'd physically go through there with our with our pens and papers, marking off how our players did, circling the touchdowns, and I would run to the copier down the hall and hand out copies of everyone's score to everyone in the office. Yeah, I mean, here's the other thing too: is that there were there were many bell cow running backs back then, three three hundred fifty touches or carries wasn't yep. you know anything to sneeze at. That's not around today. And the wide receivers started to pick up steam somewhere. I don't know what probably late two thousands, the late aughts into the tens, right? Somewhere in that neighborhood, maybe. I, I would say maybe even a little bit before that, but yes, yeah. definitely. Seven, eight. Well, I, I would say the the best uh, first example I, I mentioned Isaac Bruce. I would say the greatest show on turf uh, time with Kurt Warner. There was kind of that point where all yeah. of a sudden people started realizing how electric offenses could be when they threw the ball 50, 60 times a game. But in the last three ish years, people have really gone overboard with it with the advent of zero running back. And yes. the late round quarterback or the zero quarterback theorem move. But in what I found in the past three years or so, and especially you're seeing it again now, but the past two years, let's see, 2017, 2016, 2015, I believe it was in the flex leagues, I was going running back, running back. It, to me, it felt like a retro thing to do because there are just so many pass catchers, but so many few, so fewer running backs that you could rely on that I felt that supply and demand dictated get the running backs. That's something well, we're seeing a swing to this year where running backs are becoming earlier picks than they were in the past, you know, the, the teens of the 2000s. Well, and I think too, when you think about something from a point per reception league, uh, it was probably only about 10 years ago that teams really started focusing on three receiver sets and using slot receivers more so as a check down option for their teams. Uh, as the advent of the West Coast offense came into play, there were more short passes thrown to your tight end and to your, your slot or your interior receiver, along with your backside of the backfield. But because of that, the number of people actually getting X number of targets per game or X number of receptions a game went up, which uh, we mentioned. We talked about this a little bit before going on the air today. Uh, each of us participated in a, a large for charity uh, league this season. It's called the Scott Fish Bowl. In that particular league, uh, again, we'll talk a little bit more about two-quarterback format coming up here. But in that particular league, I actually waited until the tw- till the eighth round to take my first receiver. And in that league, I took five straight receivers at that point. But by that point, I already had three running backs, two quarterbacks, a tight end. So I was like, it was kind of going against grain. But you know what? I still ended up with Cooper Cup. Sammy Watkins, Devin Funches, Marquise Goodwin, and Kenny Galladay. Five very hyped players right now at the wide receiver position. And I'm going to mix and match those guys all year. You're going to make me reel you back in. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. we got to finish with the PPR stuff. (laughs) I think the key, though, is I still like the running back heavy approach in the PPR aspect because there's so few bell cows. Um, But I'm also not afraid to take some of those top four or five wide receivers, the key for me is you have to understand where the runs are going to happen and how deep a tier is. Okay, I drafted 10th this 
weekend in the Flex League, which is Fantasy League of Experts, and it was a PPR league. I was 10th out of 12, and I wound up in a spot that was just so difficult. I got the running back I wanted in round one. I got Julio Jones I pulled in round two. I easily could have taken Julio in round one and Dalvin Cook in round two. Probably would have still got the same, you know, the same start. But it seemed like, okay, now when my third round pick's coming up, okay, I see what I've got. I know my fourth isn't far away. The tiers weren't to the point where I could feel like I was able to dictate, and I was always at the end no matter which way I wanted to go. That's mm-hmm. tough. So you have to, at those, that point, know that you're going to take more risk in a spot, possibly. Um, thoughts? Well, there is an argument, actually, that supports – zero running back in the PPR format outside of just the fact that the receivers get points per reception. And that's that you'll have more secondary running backs, which will have value in the round six, seven, eight period. Guys like Duke Johnson, who just really have minimal, if any value in a performance based league, uh, who are going to get a lot. Tevin Coleman got guys who are third down backs, uh, Chris Thompson from yeah. Washington guys who will get a lot of catches who suddenly, if you did go wide receiver, wide receiver, and you're on the bench to find yourself a second running back that you could play regularly, you feel a lot more comfortable starting Duke Johnson as your second running back in a PPR league than you would in a performance league. Look, after drafting Dalvin Cook at 110, which I think he's got top five upside this year, and again, there's a lot of risk there, but if you're in the back end of a draft, you have to take some of that risk, right? So Definitely. I go Cook, and then I go back-to-back wide receivers, Julio Jones and Doug Baldwin. I know people are worried about the knee. He probably slipped because of the knee. Guess what? Almost all football players have a chance of missing time at some point. I'll take the upside and the 125 to 135-ish targets that, that Baldwin presents, and I'll put him on my team and know, okay, guess what? I need to hammer running back at some point because of where I'm putting myself. So guess what? I get Kenyon Drake coming back to me. Why him over guys like, say, Mark Ingram? Actually, Mark Ingram went first. Over, say, the Alex Collins and the, the Derrick Henrys. I just feel like there was less. First of all, I'm not keen on Collins in that offense. Henry possibly split and losing touches to Deion Lewis. The rookies not quite enamored with from a you-don't-know-what-you're-going-to-get type thing. So I knew that Drake, at a minimum, is going to see a lot of touches in Miami, and I thought that was a good one. But again, guess what? Chris Thompson, Theo Riddick, Matt Breida, all in the next, I don't know, five-ish rounds, they're the kind of guys where it's throw them on the wall, you know you're going to get some production, and hopefully they can help to fill in that second, third running back spot when you need them. Again, when you're talking about volume versus uh, volume versus value there, if you pick up three or four of those guys in the mid to late rounds, all you really are hoping is that one of them yep. comes forth as your as your running back too, and, and you, you kind of hope the other ones perform well too. But you also kind of hope that they're either good enough that you can do something with them, or they're bad enough that you can just dump them really fast and pick up whatever's hot off the waiver wire. Exactly, and I'll be honest with you, I'd love getting. Um, let's see, I just I just forgot his name that quickly. I love getting Tevin Coleman. In the 11th round, I'm not Tevin Coleman. I mean, Matt Breida. Yes, that was on purpose, by the way. (laughs) Okay, that was on purpose, people. We'll talk about that more when we get to the running back stuff. So, anyway. You're you're not a Jack McKinnon or a Joe Williams believer? (laughs) It's not that I'm not, but it's Kyle Shanahan showed that you can support that. Here's the thing. Tevin Coleman, he cost you a little more draft capital than I usually am willing to pay. 
But yes. if Devontae Freeman goes down, what does Tevin Coleman become? He becomes a league winner, right? Uh, unless they want to put their faith in uh, the rookie uh, Smith. Right, and I, don't, <laughs> and I don't see that happening. So I kind of look at Matt Breida the same way. If something were to happen to McKinnon, I don't want to have to pay blind bid money for, for Breida if that happens. You'll be spending your whole, your whole thing, you know, your whole bank on that. We'll talk about that in an upcoming episode down the line too. So tune in, everyone. That's right. Okay, so we're getting a little long. We haven't got to the Scott Fishbowl, but before we, or I should say Superflex, before we do, last parting thoughts on the PPR draft strategies and how to approach it. You know, if you can get one of those top five PPR running backs right away, do it. Otherwise, don't be afraid to go wide receiver, wide receiver, one, two, or one, two, three with one running back thrown in there. But remember, if you put off the running backs, throw a bunch against the wall in the mid rounds. And I'll say this, if you're at the beginning of the draft or end of the draft, so I'll say one through three, actually it's one, two, or, or 11, 12, don't be afraid to, to try and start runs. Don't follow runs if you can at all help it. If you're in the middle of the draft, you've got to be able to take some chances and swing for the fences. You cannot wait to draft people at their ADP. If you yes. like Josh Gordon, you take him a round and a half to two rounds early. If you like Rex Burkhead, you're going to have to take him earlier. If you are going to be safe, you're going to wind up right in the middle of your league. So you've got to swing for home runs. Don't be afraid to address suspended or injured players. If Doug Baldwin's sliding, grab him because it's upside that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. If Julian Edelman's suspended, so what? When he comes back after four weeks, what do you think he's going to do to close out the season for you versus what you would have taken instead? So that's what I tell you. Understand how the draft goes. Don't have one set plan, but understand when you have to take swings and when you don't. Definitely. And if you don't leave your draft with one or two risks on your team, have, have someone on your team that you feel comfortable cutting the first week if you have to. Yes. And I'll tell you what else. Let's do this real quick. I don't care if we go a little late. Um, the draft is only part of what it takes to win a league. You want to set yourself up for success. But trust me, go back and look at your old drafts. You'll be shocked at how many players you've cut, didn't use, didn't perform, and still won championships with. And you know what? I can tell you right now, your first round pick, it's easier if you get it right, but it is not something that defines whether you can win or not. I drafted David Johnson first overall last year in a league. And guess what? (laughs) I won that league. And I, I think now is when the, we, if we had the live video, we'd show you holding up your championship belt. Yes, and it, and it wasn't a league of chumps. It's called the Flex League, Fantasy League of Experts. David Gonis is in it, All-In Kid. Jake Seeley was in it. Um, God, now it bothers me that I can't remember these guys' names. I'll have to take a look at it real quick. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's Corey um, Parsons is in it. Um, Joe, Joe Dolan was in it. So there's a lot of top-notch guys that were in that league. And... My first pick was David Johnson. Guess what? Round two, round three, swing. Two players slid because of poor performances the year before. Todd Gurley and DeAndre Hopkins. So don't be afraid to be a, don't be a slave to last year's numbers because last year doesn't necessarily mean a daggone thing for this year. If a player or a vet is sliding and you think he's in a good position and has upside, that's that risk that you take. Well, I think you made a good segue there. You're talking about the Flex League. And uh, now one of the members, uh, one of the players who drafted in the Flex League with you this year it was 
Yep. Uh, Scott Fish. Correct. And of course, Scott Fish, as I mentioned earlier, was responsible for the Scott Fish Bowl. Uh, I believe it's 960 teams this year, uh, with the money going to FantasyCares.org. Uh, basically, every year uh, Scott spends uh, the money from the donations provided by all the fantasy sites as well as the fantasy writers across the world, and donates them to buy gifts for ch- needy children around the holidays. And he does a great job this year. I'm actually. You know what? I'm going to look something up while you continue to talk about Superflex real quick because I want to be able to quote some numbers for what Scott's done. I can tell you this. This year so far, he has raised almost $40,000. Wow. That's just remarkable what he's, what he's done for the, the disadvantaged and, and underprivileged people across the country here. Uh, now, as far as Superflex goes, the, the general premise with Superflex is that you have an additional flex position. And by itemizing it with the term super flex all that means is that position can be a running back a wide receiver a tight end or a quarterback and that's being the key part there or a quarterback most other leagues when you have a flex position they only allow you to use a running back a wide receiver or a tight end but when you incorporate the option of starting a second quarterback into your league's scoring system it makes having that second quarterback almost essential it's really really hard unless your scoring settings are dynamically skewed one way or the other to not start a second quarterback in that slot now because of that the draft strategies associated with superflex are considerably different than the draft strategies you would use in a performance league or in a point per reception league Uh, to the fact then that all 32 quarterbacks will be drafted a lot of times the top backup quarterbacks will be drafted. And if you do not have two quarterbacks on your roster by round six, you're going to be starting A.J. McCarron most weeks. Um, you know, last year I started Brian Hoyer, I think, a little bit. He actually wasn't too bad, wasn't he? Um, I, I had him and Mitchell Trubisky. Um, who's the guy in San Francisco before Garoppolo came along? I oh, who was that? <laughs> I mean, and I made the playoffs, though. I made the playoffs. Anyway, okay, here's what I wanted to add about the Scott Fishbowl. Um, in the first year that he started it, it was 2015. He raised $1,500. In 2016, just over $6,000. Last year, over $15,000. And like I said, this year, it's approaching $40,000. So Scott's a great guy. I met him this weekend in D.C. for the Flex Draft, and he does great things, and I know a lot of our listeners, I bet, are in the league and also have donated. If you haven't, hashtag Fantasy Cares on Twitter. You'll be able to find out how you, sh- how you should you know, do the donations and stuff like that. If you can only give $10, give. Um, it's a good cause. I used to have a business with my wife, and we supported Toys for Tots with that. So it really is a great thing that Scott's doing, and it shows just how great the fantasy community is. But we're here to talk about the Superflex leagues and quarterback stuff, like you just said. So let's get back to that. Well, when you're talking on the Superflex format, I said that you're going to want to make sure you have two quarterbacks before round eight. In reality, you probably want to have two quarterbacks before round six. Uh, A typical Superflex league, you will see at least eight quarterbacks go in the first three rounds. You're going to see your obvious players like Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson. Those, Those three will almost assuredly go in early round two, if not late round one. In round two, you'll see guys like Cam Newton 
and Tom Brady, Carson Wentz, those guys will all go in round two. Round three, uh, if they haven't gone already, you're going to see the likes of Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, I'm obviously forgetting a few names. Jimmy Garoppolo has been going very, very high based on his expectations in San Francisco. Uh, Kirk Cousins is slowly climbing up to realms where you're going to see him go in late round three, early round form in these formats. Because, again, when you have a super flex option, it is really almost impossible to not start a second quarterback. You know, and here's the thing, too. We have a little perspective because we were both in the league. And fortunately but unfortunately, we both actually drew the number one overall slot. It would have been kind of cool had we had different draft slots to talk about how our drafts were so different by being at different ends of the draft, et cetera. But even drafting 1-1, we both went in. We didn't talk about it. We didn't know that each other was doing that. We both have totally different strategies and totally different teams. Would you not agree? Exactly. I think realistically, we probably only have a couple players that we share between the two of us. And that would be. And one of them was 1 1 overall. Yes, Todd Gurley. We both agreed Todd Gurley was the pick to go at 1 1. But then when it came back to me at the wrap, and wide receivers are a little bit devalued in the Scott Fishbowl, um, <clears throat> maybe not as much in other Superflex leagues, but I went with Keenan Allen and Devontae Adams. You, on the other hand, went what? Well, as, as I mentioned earlier, I really punted on the wide receiver position for this format. Uh, I went quarterback with Deshaun Watson, and then uh, it was Sunday night at about 8 p.m. I, I took LaShawn McCoy at pick 301. Uh, of course, that was the Sunday night before the Monday morning when it, it was all released on uh, the news and all over Twitter that LaShawn McCoy had allegedly uh, first allegedly had beaten his ex-girlfriend, and then, of course, the news changed that he may have consulted with or hired someone to be his ex-girlfriend. And who knows where the, where the rulings stand right now. Right now it sounds like McCoy thinks he's going to play week one of the season. I'm not counting on it. I think I blew the third pick there. No, he could play. He could play this entire year and get suspended next year. You never know. Look how long it took with the Zeke thing. So anyway, so you went with running back and quarterback. Then at the 4-5 turn, I did something way outside of my comfort zone. I went quarterback, quarterback. And – we had only two quarterbacks going the first two rounds in my draft. We had five going round three. When I went at 4-1, Stafford went in front of me. I took Andrew Luck and then 4-12, I should say. And then 5-1, I took Matt Ryan. That was the first of three straight quarterbacks. And then one, two, three, four more. Then when there was two more picks and then two more quarterbacks. So by trying to go back-to-back, I kind of created a mini run based on what had happened at the end of round three and then beginning of round four and five, that pushed some value back to me. Um, what did you do in four and five? Well, so after taking LaShawn McCoy and realizing my uh, error in my ways the next day, uh, I had kind of thought to myself, okay, i got to get a running back next round. But at the same time, I also kind of thought to myself I wanted to make sure I, I nabbed a second quarterback too. So I had a list of about seven quarterbacks I'd be happy with as my second quarterback, only to see that over the third and fourth round, all seven of those quarterbacks were snatched up. So it got back to me at 412, and I didn't really see a running back that I wanted to invest that highly in. And it, there were still a couple quarterbacks I didn't mind as my second quarterback. So I, I took Evan Ingram, who was the third tight end off the board. And then I took Ben Roethlisberger, who was at that point the 13th quarterback off the board at, at 501. Gotcha. So. This is where, when we talked about earlier, 
by me going running back, wide receiver, wide receiver, quarterback, quarterback, I know I'm going to be chasing running back at this point more than likely. Um, and coming into my sixth round pick, I kind of had my eye set on Deion Lewis. He went one pick in front of me. So I went up going with Sonny Michelle, which now at the injury news, you know, doesn't make that pick, doesn't make me feel very good about it. Um, and then I went and I nabbed Jimmy Graham, which I know that there's fours and against with Graham, but as tight end five, I think that he's got a pretty safe floor and there's a ton of upside. And tight end's not that big of a difference maker at that point, so I'm happy with the pick just based on the upside alone. What would you do 6-7? Well, I actually was in the exact same boat. I was looking at Deion Lewis. I was watching him sit out there, and he went a couple picks before me at the uh, 5-1 pick. Uh, so I'm sorry, at the 6-12 pick, uh, Deion Lewis went a couple picks before me. So my thought at that point was, okay, I'm still – sweating the LaShawn McCoy as my running back too. I wanted to make sure I covered my bases getting someone that could start on a regular basis at running back two in case he doesn't play. So I bailed and grabbed two rookies, Ronald Jones and Royce Freeman. Actually, the two rookie running backs behind Saquon Barkley that I prefer the most. Okay, gotcha. And it makes sense. Again, I think what people need to hear here is that we are not set to our rankings, Right, We're not drafting yes. off of a set plan, but we understand what our actions before did to us and what we're looking at and know what's going to be there. Because especially drafting at the ends, it's a long wait. It's a long, long wait. So if you're at you know, one or two and you go, okay, I'm going to get this guy and hope, I think he can make it back to me. There's a lot of picks for him to make it back to you. At. So that's when you want to be feeling really good about what you're doing and addressing your team. Um, so now going so that's six, seven, eight, nine, I hit wide receiver again because I was not thrilled with any of the running backs that were left. I was looking at Tevin Coleman, believe it or not. He went in, um, the eighth round, he went like three or four picks in front of me. Carlos Hyde, I wouldn't have taken anyway. He went right before me. Um, after I grabbed both Edelman and Devonte Parker, Edelman, again, I won't use him to start the season, but I'll have a very strong wide receiver three once you know, he gets back. And then Parker, I think, has upside with Tannehill coming back. So that's why and I probably, in retrospect, should have looked at taking somebody like Chris Thompson or, you know, Tariq Cohen, who didn't last. I, I passed on him. I probably shouldn't have. What did you do at 8-9? Well, so again, I kind of found myself in a, a weird spot being at the end of the thing where I was hoping I had a large list of wide receivers I was hoping would fault me. I could start taking wide receivers at this point. Uh, guys like Elshon Jeffrey, Golden Tate, Juju Smith-Schuster, Marvin Jones all went in the seventh round right before me. So I'm like, ah, darn it. I really wanted these. Pierre Garçon went off the board. Chris Hogan went off the board. Corey Davis went off the board. It was just like shooting every yep. player I had on my list right down the list. Uh, then it got to pick 806, and I saw that Brandon Cooks was still out there, and I thought for sure he was going to slide the final five picks to me. And I was happy calling him my wide receiver one. And then Brad Evans from Yahoo took him. Uh, <laughs> a couple picks later, Jarvis Landry goes. And I, I just, my head starts spinning as who I'm going to take. And then I just start looking a little further down the draft list here on my wide receivers. And I'm like, oh, boy, there's still a ton of wide receivers I don't mind going to battle with. So that's when I went on my five-round run, drafting wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. And who were the two that you took? At 8-9, I took Cooper Cup and Sammy Watkins. Okay. And then, so that's eight, nine. Now, when it comes back to me at 10, 
I'm like, okay, I definitely have to get another running back, right? Well, Aaron Jones is somebody I was hoping he'd come to me. Nah, he came off the board four picks, five picks in front of me. Now I'm looking at guys like Deontay Foreman, um, C.J. Anderson, Chris Ivory, Ty Montgomery. Eh. So I went with Josh Doxson and Foreman. And Foreman, I think, has the, again, because now I've, I'm behind, I want to look for a guy that's got home run potential. And Lamar Miller looked like he was possibly losing that job late last year before the injury to Foreman. And the bad news came out after I drafted Foreman, where it looks like he may not be ready for the start of the season. But when he gets back, maybe somebody that at the end of the year, midway through, can be a, a nice push for me. And Doxson, I have an insider with the Redskins. Uh, they are going to spread the ball around. It's doubtful that you'll see anybody really stand out, but they are going to try and get the ball to Doxton. Again, this happened before he injured his shoulder, though. So then we got to uh, round 10 and 11, and at this point, uh, once again, being at the end of the round, we got sniped on a couple different players we really liked. Uh, Sterling Shepard went right before me. Uh, Will Fuller went right before me. Marlon Mack went right before me, as did Isaiah Crowell. I was really hoping to get one of those two as my quote-unquote fifth running back. I thought there would be a safe play on fill-in days. Uh, seeing that there were no more running backs on the board that I really wanted to touch at that point, I went back-to-back -back receiver again, taking Carolina's number one, Devin Funches, and San Francisco's speed receiver, Marquise Goodwin. So this is where we kind of like wound up you know, being in the same spot because in 12-13, I got Goodwin. Um, and then I, back, I went running back one more time with Corey Clement. Again, somebody that had some upside based on if something happens to a Ajayi who's had some issues with his knee in the past. Um, in retrospect, I probably would have been happier taking Goodwin where I took Doxon and then taking Clement and Matt Breida because Breida went three picks, two picks after I selected Clement. So that would have been better for me, but it is what it is. When I got to 12 and 13... I continued my uh, wide receiver run with uh, number 12. Got really lucky that Kenny Galladay slid to me because I, I, I kind of had the feeling that he was going to go pretty soon after that. So I was, I was able to sneak him in there at pick 12. 13, I further insured myself against uh, the lock or loss, I should say, of LaShawn McCoy. I, I grabbed Chris Ivory before anyone else had a chance to grab him either. Now, hindsight being what it is, someone got Chris Carson a couple picks after that. Kind of wish I would have taken him instead. But again, we both have regrets there. It's more along the lines of, you know, just thinking about what kind of risk you want, what kind of home run swings you're taking, how does it impact your team? You know, Chris Ivory's much more valuable to you as a McCoy owner if you're uncertain of his future than it is to somebody else. So I don't like to end on 13 because it's an unlucky number. Let's just go to round 14, and I'll say I went with a guy who news broke shortly after that that makes me concerned. I've got a guy who, who may be getting suspended too, Ricky Seals-Jones. Seals-Jones went in round 12 for us. Uh, round 14, 15, I was uh, in the mood to get my second tight end. Uh, saw Vance McDonald and Mike Gesicki go right before me. Cameron Brait went right before me. Ben Watson, Austin Sperry, and Jenkins. Uh, I was kind of forced to choose from the leftover pickings. Went Hayden Hurst, Baltimore's tight end, who I was really happy to see catch that touchdown from Lamar Jackson uh, this past weekend. I also got uh, Marquise Lee at this point, who I've been getting a lot of shares of this offseason. Uh, Jacksonville's got a gorgeous schedule for their passing game this year, yep. and I think that uh, Blake Balls takes the next step this year. And I'll finish this with my round 15 pick. Was a guy that I think is the epitome of what you want to try and do with your late round picks. 
whether it's running back or wide receiver. I went with Martavis Bryant. Wide receiver, 62 off the board. Now, there's a chance he's going to get suspended. There's a chance he's going to be in Gruden's doghouse all year. But if not, the upside in round 15 with 61 other wide receivers off the board, that's the kind of swing that you want to take, and if it misses, it misses. You dump him and you go to the waiver wire. You know, John Gruden's put together a great team there in Oakland. Uh, they would have been very, very good about four years ago. Yes, yes, I know, I know. <laughs> okay, so I know we talked more in depth about the Scott Fishbowl, but it really per- plays itself to the Superflex aspect of it. To me, the only thing that's different is that you do have to add value to the quarterback position because they are high-scoring. In a normal league, that doesn't matter because you all start one and they're very replaceable. But when you've got 12 teams and you're each starting two, that's 24. There's only 32 starters in the league. Of those 32 starters, how many of them are actually pretty good um, and safe? And then you know injuries do happen. So that's one spot where you're going to have me say, I, I would normally take my quarterbacks higher. But like I said, it was still out of, out of body experience for me to do in the fourth and fifth round. Yeah, don't get stuck drafting A.J. McCarron unless you're doing it in round 22 like I did. Exactly. And I'll tell you this. Reading between the lines, A.J. McCarron's the starting quarterback in Buffalo this year. I was, yep. I was listening the other day. I guess it was last week, SiriusXM. They were in Buffalo for training camp. And everybody they talked to, whether it was a player or a GM, I believe, or a coach or whatever, when they talked quarterbacks, they didn't say, oh, he's the favorite. But they always started with A.J. He was the first quarterback talked about. And that's just one of those subtle things that people do without even realizing it. But that tells me that he looks like he's the one that's going to get the ball first. So finally, A.J. McCarron will actually get more people talking about him during the football games he plays in than his uh, whoever he happens to be dating at that time, right? I guess. I don't even know who he dates. I'm not worried about that crap. Come on now. <laughs> okay, so in parting, anything you want to add on draft strategies in draft strategies, I mean, know your league's rules yep. and plan, plan, plan. One of the best things you can do is go to the huddle.com, enter your league's scoring style into the format, and it, you can take a list from right, right from the huddle where I'll talk about the different uh, tiers that you might draft your players from. So when you notice that you're starting to get into a run, to yep. make sure you can get the player in the tier you want before that tier runs dry. And I will say this. don't You can love certain players but it really is about tiers and understanding when that tier is going to dry up as to if you should reach or not, or if you're afforded the opportunity to reach for a different running back because you see that there's 12 wide receivers that you like and there's no reason to get this one because I'm eight picks away and I know I'm going to get one of that bunch and I'm happy with that. That's how you do that. You got and I, I think I can end this uh, podcast on a good note here by saying one thing I've really learned from being in many, many draft leagues is don't be the team at your draft that is only writing down the players you have. Keep track of yep. everyone at the draft and their roster. Because if you see that you've got four or five picks before you're up, but each of those three or four teams in between you and your next pick has two quarterbacks already, the odds are highly unlikely that they're going to take their, their third quarterback at that point. Use that to your advantage to maybe put off taking your quarterback one more round or put off taking your tight end one more round if all those teams have one or two tight ends right. Know who is not only on your roster, but who is on everyone else's roster too. Or if you're in a single quarterback league and you're somebody that waits and you're at 10 and team 11 and 12 both took their quarterbacks earlier and you're going, I really want this guy. Well, guess what? And there's one running back that you like. 
you take the running back first because you know they're not taking a backup quarterback. That's true. And that's the type of way that you have to approach that. So the other and thing I'm going to say is the edge and advantage you're looking for at your yeah. draft. And there's no excuse in today's day and age with all the stuff that we have, you know, whether it's an online draft or draft boards that are used that you can't keep track of that kind of stuff. The other thing is have a plan, but do not stay married to it. You have to be able to be flexible because drafts are fluid. When somebody says, what round should I take my quarterback in? All I say is late because I don't care if eight quarterbacks go off the board in the first three rounds because everybody panicked. Don't. It's, but you're, you're basing it on what the available the supply and demand is, whether it's quarterback or running back or wide receiver or tight end, just make sure you look at your tiers, try to dictate wherever you can, and don't be a sheep and follow runs because that's the best way to guarantee yourself mediocrity, and we don't want that to happen. And to keep that from happening, we want you to tune back in. We're actually going to give you some specials this this year. We're giving you two episodes a week for the first two weeks. Um, So this one, of course, is Draft Strategy. Our next one, which I believe should be released for Saturday the 11th, is going to be on running backs. Then on Tuesday, August 14th, you'll have a wide receiver show. And then on Saturday the 18th, we will have quarterbacks and tight ends. And we're putting then, those off to the end, much like you do. Exactly, and that's why we're doing it. And we're probably going to have David Dory with us so that he can talk about them because I don't like to. And then on 821, I believe it is, we're going to get into DFS, waiver wire, blind bidding, stuff like that. And then we'll go to our normal schedule from that point forward, 827 or 28, whatever that Tuesday is. We'll talk about some camp battles and injuries. And then guess what happens on 9-3? You and I are going to be talking about week, We're going to be talking about week one content that they'll get for Tuesday 9-4 for a game that starts on Thursday the 6th. So... With that said, make sure you are following Harley on Twitter, at Nuclear Harley. You can also follow me, at Steve Gallo NFL. And like I said, if you're not a member of the huddle, what's wrong with you? Go subscribe now. You'll win leagues because of it. And until next time, get this responsible. Cheers. Cheers.